Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and I'll bring in the panelists in just a minute, like always. If everybody's doing well, um, what are we talking about this week? I think Dan's talking to us about Judah. We're doing some character studies right now, and I believe that's who we're on today. Yeah. Yeah, looking at the the person of Judah is, I think, a pretty interesting study. Um, I'd heard a sermon uh, by a friend of mine a few years ago, and, and uh, it was one of those sermons where uh, when he said, we're going to do a sermon on Judah, I thought, how, how can you possibly do a sermon about that guy? There's just not any information. And then he started pulling together uh, some some stories and not only are there several chapters where Judah is mentioned, and he plays a pretty key part in a number of those stories, especially one chapter, um, when you put all those different chapters that are spread out together, it seems to tell, uh, you know, like uh, what, what they use in, in when they're talking about movies and characters and stories and shows, he has a long story arc. He has a when you connect all those together, you can see the trajectory that Judah is going on and uh, where the crisis seems to hit or the big crisis that causes a, uh, leads him to make some changes. And we can see those changes. And of course, Judah, just to make sure that we know who and where we are, Judah's story, his, his activity starts in Genesis chapter 37. That's where um, his activity uh takes place but he is born back in genesis chapter 29 and it's worth mentioning his birth because he is the uh the fourth son of leah a less a less loved wife and uh, she is trying to get the attention and the affection of her husband and the names of her children uh, seem to indicate that she names her child something and it and it is an expression of di different ways of now my husband will love me but in genesis chapter 29 when judah is born it says she conceived and bore a son and said this time i will praise the lord therefore she called his name judah then she ceased bearing and judah is a name that means praise and so i'm just going to praise god rather than trying to go after uh the the unattainable affections and blessings of this world. And so she seems she seems to direct herself to the Lord. That's what that's the family that Judah is born into. And as time goes on, um, the desperation for affections and problems only seem to grow. And that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 37. Um, if just someone just go ahead as we begin. Um so you're doing, and and I'm I'm guessing Ben Hall is the one that you heard speak on mm -hmm. Judah before. We're doing what pulpit commentary saw no sense in doing. So if you look at pulpit commentary, there's a homiletic section for you know how to get a sermon out of it. And on chapter 37, it just says there's no homiletic material to be getting from Genesis 37. <laughs> but it is an interesting study. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, there's some pretty nasty things about Judah, but then it watch this arc that Dan's going to be talking about. All right, go ahead. Well, in chapter 37, we already know he, he and his brothers, their names are connected to a, a mom that is desperate for love and attention. And that's 
that is sadly, that's very normal. Um, people who are desperate for love and attention because um, maybe their priorities are out of whack and they're desperate for attention, or it could be that they're in a in an environment without love and without affection and without uh, the, uh, the care that really human beings need. And so that's the situation that he's born into. And when we get to chapter 37, um, it, it mentions in, in verse 2, Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, Joseph is 17 years old. And uh, he brings a bad report of his brothers to uh, his father. Of course, brothers don't like a snitch and brothers don't like it when brothers tell on each other. I've heard a lot of people make arguments about whether this was good or whether this was bad. My big point is brothers, whether they intend it or not, end up revealing things about their brothers to their parents. And so even if Joseph was trying to be good, hmm. he's going to accidentally reveal something. It could be that Joseph is a snot and he's telling on his brothers. That could be. If it is, it's the only story in all of the life of Joseph that I found where he does something that seems ugly. Everything else, Joseph is a really good guy. So I tend to think that this is just Joseph saying, hey, the, the brothers did something. So now his brothers don't like him. And in verse three, we have just one of the worst verses in the Bible. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Th that's just that's that's a recipe uh, for, for a terrible family. We already know that things are rough and things are awkward. His dad loves him more than his other other brothers he makes him a robe of many co colors which incidentally that many colors could be translated long sleeves so i usually go with the translator's ideas that many colors sounds much more impressive than a long sleeved jacket um but th that's just my own thoughts yeah justin if it is a long sleeve jacket uh one of the things that that might communicate to his brothers is that joseph isn't expected to do hard labor like the rest of them would uh you know a long sleeve jacket uh he, he's not going to be getting his hands dirty uh, normally you'd wear a cloak i think that that doesn't have sleeves to that length so he's being set apart as kind of a manager over the his brothers which you see him playing out through the rest of the story could be i hadn't thought of that i couldn't thought of that well he starts oh, to dream so what i need to correct myself i said 37 it's 38 that pulpit mm. the, with the Tamar and all that. Yeah, 37, they would have finished it. But we're going to yeah. see stuff in 38. Okay. Well, one, one point that I think is interesting. In verses 1 through 4, Joseph, um, he, he because of the people that are around him, the situation gets sticky, right? His his brothers, this includes Judah, the guy we're talking about, don't like what Joseph has to say. His father loves him more than others and things that are, and so, so that's because of his environment. And then in verses five through 11, Joseph starts having dreams. And these dreams basically foretell that Joseph is gonna be the coolest brother and all the other brothers are gonna bow down to him. And Again, that's outside of Joseph's control, but this is divine intervention. And so we have people um, who are setting up a bad environment in verses one through four. And then oddly, God, through his message, makes the environment, I don't think God is making the environment worse, but he is giving a message 
that the people start to react badly to. That's common throughout all of the story of the Bible. God introduces a message. It's a good message, but people don't like that, and the, and the reception of the people is bad. And so Judah, we don't hear much about him yet, but Judah's there, and he's one of these 10 brothers who just despises Joseph, probably because they're so frustrated with their dad more than they are with Joseph, right? Um, so that's the bad situation. They go off and they start doing their pasturing of the flock and the dad sends Joseph off to check on them. And then they see him coming from afar in verses 18. So who could I get somebody to read chapter 37, 18 through 24? Yeah, I'll read that. <clears throat> they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we, and we will see him, what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might come and rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that uh, he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So Judah and nine other brothers want to murder their brother Joseph. They want to throw him into a pit, uh, murdered. Uh, this is going back to, I mean, the 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 chapter four of the Bible sin of brother killing brother, and we're getting back to that. I mean, it's it's such a shocking moment when it shows up in Genesis chapter four. It's a shocking idea here as well. And the best brother's best saving plan is still pretty pitiful. Let's just throw him into a pit, and I'll secretly save him um, and not let my brothers know about it. So that's the best. The best brother isn't willing to stand up to the other ones. Um, he wants to save him, but it's it's not a very noble saving. It's still a pretty uh, yellow-bellied saving. And um, so Judah is with those guys who want to murder him. And then we get Judah being active for the first time. So could somebody read uh, verses 25 through 28? Yeah, I can do that. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. All right. Judah speaks up. This is where the story, where we're really picking up with the life of Judah. What do we get out if we kill a, what do we get out of killing our brother and hiding it? I don't know if he's just so materialistic that he is hungry for money. I think he's rather just opportunistic more than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, because there's two things I think that he's wanting to get out of it. Number one, he, he talks about getting money. But he also, he also talks about 
um, this idea of, in verse 27, for he is our brother and our flesh. And so he's coming back to the fact that we're related. And so what does that mean? Yeah, Justin. But, you know, later, uh, and, and this is a bit of a spoiler, if you don't know the story, when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt, they're, they're quite upset because they think all these bad things have been happening to them because they killed their brother. They, they think that selling him into slavery is essentially going to kill him because mm-hmm. you know slaves the lifespan of a slave is not going to be too long so i think i think judah's point is like you're saying he's opportunistic he's materialistic and he's looking at the situation he says you know we could do ourselves better than this uh we can kind of get back at our dad uh we can get rid of joseph and we can get paid to do it so let's let's take the opportunity yeah and and i think they know even here in this moment of selling him to slavery that is a way of killing him without being guilty of murder because he's our family after all, we shouldn't murder him. And, and, and that's, that's his thinking. I think that that's really what it is. He says, what profit if we kill our brother and hide it? Let's sell him. Let not our hand be upon him because he's family. Blood is thicker than water. Now, we might get other people to murder our blood, but, but he is keeping himself blameless, in, <laughs> at least in his definition of blamelessness. And so it's it's absolutely selfish. I don't know if it's as much about getting the money, but he is getting money. Let's sell my brother for some money and make myself innocent of all wrongdoing. What happened to your brother? Well, I don't know. And you can he could, you know, technically and honestly answer that I don't know what happened to my brother because after I sold him into slavery, I don't know what happened to him. But if you if you conceal that that aspect um, uh, it's still a very deceitful and dishonest way of living. So it's less culpability and some silver in the pocket. Yeah. yeah. And so what we have here is a, a way I like to consider Judah is what, what he is doing affects himself and affects other people. And when you're living in sin, you try to um, nullify both of those ideas. This sin doesn't affect me. This sin doesn't bother me. I can be okay doing it. And the other lie that you tell yourself is, this sin doesn't affect anyone else in my family. If I go off and I do my own thing, it doesn't affect my wife. It doesn't affect my kids, or I don't care how it's going to affect others. It's not a big deal. And so he gets to think, and he lies to himself, it doesn't matter if I sell my brother off to be a slave and be killed. And it doesn't matter if my dad is upset because that's not my doing. And he's hurting all of these other people. The, the reaction that his dad has at the end of the chapter in verse 35, all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort the dad, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I'll go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. Um, thus his father wept for him. And so he effectively hurts his dad. And I don't know if that was, you know, if that was more of a subconscious desire. I want to hurt my dad. <laughs> um, but we see here, Judah is somebody who's been living a rotten environment and he's reaching out to hurt other people. Yeah, John. Yeah. And I think one of the things you see behind that kind of like self-justification is selfishness. Um, just the the selfishness of doing what will make you feel good or what will solve your problems. You're kind of the number one, uh, you need, you know, what w- w- to get yours, um, you know, wh- whatever kind of phrase you want to spin on it. 
that mm-hmm. selfish kind of behavior or attitude will easily justify anything. Um, because like like what we've already pointed out, like it's insane what they're doing. They're they're killing their brother, <laughs> but it's okay <laughs> because we get something out of it. Like that's that's almost kind of how he how he says it. And you can you can make anything sound okay uh, if you twist it hard enough um, for through the the lens of selfishness. And you see that trend continue with Judah even into chapter thirty eight. He does some more foolish things, probably mm-hmm. spurred on by selfishness and and uh, you know his own uh, you know passions or whatever. And his big kind of turning arc is when he finally gets over himself and starts thinking about other people, um, which is where we're where we're going. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I usually find that when you're looking at stories of sin or if you're evaluating yourself even that the root behind all of the sins is either pride or selfishness it's usually one or the other and i mean you could you could insert pride and you could think he's trying to lift himself up to be a better more impressive brother or or you know um, I'm going to do my own thing, and that's a proud idea. But to me, his behavior here really comes down to, Jonathan, like you said, selfishness. I want. I want to hurt. I want to take. I want to get rid of. I want to make my environment um, pleasing to me. And I'm going to get rid of all the things that hurt me. And I don't care if it hurts other people. Now, there's some pride in that, but it's it's all back to Judah's wants. Any other thoughts about that chapter before we move on to some more of the story? Yeah, Justin? Just one quick one here. Whatever Judah and his brothers are thinking about how their father is going to respond to this, uh, I, I don't think they were prepared uh, for the grief that their father was going to go through. Uh, later in the story, he, he can't even bring himself hardly to believe that Joseph is still alive. The grief has just set in so deeply. Uh, and then Judah, it seems like in chapter 38, moves away to kind of maybe to give himself space from the tragedy that has befallen his family that they actually created. Uh, and he's still not going to get it, but God's going to give him the opportunity to view his father's grief through his own personal loss. Uh, and so, you know, like you said, we we try to minimize the effects of sin either on ourselves or other people. But something can shake us out of that when we start to see how other people respond to our sin. If you ever hurt someone or sinned against someone and then confess that and to see the brokenheartedness in their face, uh, that's an, that's an important process to go through to recognize the hurt that, that we've caused others by our sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of see that with Peter and the gospel of Luke, when he denies Jesus and then he turns and Jesus turns and sees him. And then he goes out and weeps bitterly. Um, we, we might lie to ourselves and tell us tell ourselves that sin doesn't hurt us or other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Judah is starting to see that, that that wasn't exactly true. It's hurting Jacob and it's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt his whole family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jonathan, did you have a thought? Yeah, and just adding on to that, that, that actually maybe doesn't affect Judah immediately like it should have, like you would hope that it would have. Um, but it does affect him long term. Um, that's one of the things that he thinks about in, in Genesis 44 whenever we get there. The hurt yeah. that he caused his father yeah and i think i think something that's important to remember here is that this story has a lot about personal responsibility and then the fact that it, it reveals a lot about our personal responsibility um, as well as the fact that the environment that we're in sets us up 
um, for, for a lot of troubles. And so I think one of the big reasons that that Judah is behaving this way is because his dad set up a rotten family system. But the problem is Judah still needs to be good. It's not his dad's fault that he's going to uh, sell his brother into slavery, but his dad is a mess. And um, his dad has a lot of grief. But then when you look at his grief in verse 35, you realize he's being stupid with his grief. He's refusing any sort of comfort. He's, he's taking it even worse, and he's refusing the rest of his family. And so a dad who plays favorites in a family, you'd think that the sons would say, wow, that is such a bad behavior. I'm never going to behave that way myself. No, Judah replicates that by getting rid of the brother and, and playing favorites himself. And in chapter 38, we're going to see again, he's going to repeat what he saw his father do of playing favorites and choosing one over another. And he's going to do that in his own family. And so um, Jacob sets up the family um, uh, with some bad habits and Judah repeats those, implicates himself in sin and gets himself enmeshed in these problems. And um, through the process of this, he's got to figure out how to throw off his own sin as well as the habits that his that he's watched as in his father. It's it's a really interesting interplay between, you know, is it my fault or is it my environment's fault? And um, it's absolutely Jacob's fault. Uh, it's absolutely Judah's fault, but he sure learned it in his environment. I think that we can learn a lot from that in this. All right, well, let's let's look at chapter 38. Chapter 38 is one of the great disgusting chapters in the Bible. That's the one mentioned in the commentary. No yeah, problem. yeah. And this is one of those moments in the Bible where you go, man, God, you just included some really rotten stuff in the Bible. Now, the rottenness isn't, oh, wow, God writes some really rude laws or God sure tells us to do ugly things. No, God is letting us know that he sets up people to go on the right path and they will choose to be ugly and selfish and, and, and go on their own path. And he doesn't hide those truths from us. So in Gen Genesis chapter 38, he goes off and he starts his own family. We get the story of Judah marrying. Um, I I'll go ahead and I'll read this. Uh, chapter 38, verses 1 through 5. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was at Chezeb when she bore him. So here we have the story of Judah starting off his family. In the family stories and traditions in the book of Genesis, um, the, the good sons go back and get wives from certain people um, that's the, the, the approved of way in the, in the patriarchs of where are you going to get your wife? Well, you don't just walk around and find them in some neighborhood. There's a certain place that you go to and you, and you marry these good people. And it's never outright condemned when some of the sons marry women from the land, but it's never looked on in a good way. And Judah isn't condemned in chapter 38 for marrying this woman, but it's a terrible chapter. And it doesn't look like she does anything to make the make his life holier. I, I can't say anything bad about her. I'd rather just say about Judah. He went to a place, he saw a woman that he wanted, and he took her. 
I think he married her. But the way it's worded in verse two, he saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite woman. He took her and he went into her and they had three kids. And so it is definitely repeating the theme from the previous chapter. Judah sees something he wants and he does it. He takes it. He gets it. Hey, let's make some money off of our brother. Hey, let's keep our hands free from murdering him. Let's just get what we want. And in this chapter, he sees the lady he wants. He takes her. He, I'm assuming that, they, that they're married, that this is his wife. And, um, he, he, and he starts having children with her. It's not outright evil, but it sure isn't written in a, in a way that sounds good. And then the next paragraph is where it gets really rough. Um, when the when the sons start, the first son gets married. Um, does anyone want to read that six through eleven? Dan, if I could just yeah, yeah real, go ahead. real quick thought. You, you brought this up, and you're good at helping us to see patterns in our reading. Just the Bible's a book, uh, and so sometimes we forget. You know, mm. we, we try to read it like it's a, something different. It is a book, and if you read it like any other book, you'll find that it's not like any other book. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned Cain and Abel. And that's kind of a, a pattern that fits in with the brothers trying to kill the brother. Uh, it's almost like when you watch a movie and they play the same theme music over another yeah. scene. It's like it takes you back emotionally. The language I, I hadn't noticed before, it doesn't actually say that he married her. I think you're right maybe to assume that he does. But the wording is he saw and took, which should play over this scene, the music from Genesis 3, where they yep. see the fruit and take. And then yep. tragedy ensues. Uh, so I hadn't noticed that before. That's that's helpful. Judah is kind of back in this um, isolation scene again. Opportunity to go one of two ways, and he chooses he chooses mm -hmm. the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really powerful imagery because it, there's no commentary in these verses. It doesn't have and God said, "Thou shalt not." But the language, like you're pointing out, the language is not the language um, of approval, of, of, fi of, of finding the righteous and holy woman. He saw and he took, which is what Eve did in, with the fruit. She saw and she took. Uh, that's a really good connection. Also, it's worth noting, uh, uh, the stories of the patriarchs would be easier in Sunday school if after each verse it said, and that was good, or yes. and that was bad. Well, some, and sometimes it does, but lots of times it just tells the story. Now, mm -hmm. an example of this is when Simeon and Levi deceive the guys from the city, make a promise to them, and then break it and murder everybody. Yep. Um, it just tells the story. It doesn't say if it was wrong or right. It tells what they did. At the very end of Genesis, when uh, Jacob is you know, pronouncing different pronouncements on his sons, you, that's where you see him condemning their behavior of what they did. Uh, but, you know, you don't always have everything summed up in a patriarch's, you know, final words before he dies or something. Uh, you, we just, we have accounts here. Uh, this is what happens. Right, right. So we got to, it's helpful to find the clues then to, to figure out. Um, oh, we can use those clues to figure out what is God's opinion on, the, on those, those ideas. All right. Well, um, does anyone want to read six through, through 11? 
I can read that, yeah. Go for it. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. He put him to death also. Then Judas said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Okay, so we have a we have a paragraph of selfishness. That that's that's all this is here. The only uh, unselfish act is when the father tells the the second son, "You need to you need to do your duty and go to your brother's wife and raise up children uh, for your brother." Um, th that's just following the law and the custom. Every other behavior here is 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 selfishness. We have Ur the firstborn. Um, and he's just so wicked, God kills him. We don't even know why. He's just he's just put to death. We have the second son who, in his selfishness and wickedness, refuses to um, raise up ch children for his brother and goes and sleeps with the sister-in-law anyways and just behaves absolutely selfishly, taking advantage of her and taking advantage of the situation and uh, behaving so selfishly that God puts him to death, uh, it seems like, right then and there. And so there's this third son and Judah um, sounds like he's still going to be a, a righteous man and say, oh, wait until he grows up a little bit. But the reason he's wanting Tamar to wait is because he doesn't want his third son to die, as if Tamar is the reason his sons are dying. The story is really clear. His first son died because his first son was rotten. His second son died because his second son behaved in a rotten way. And Tamar is just Tamar. And so he's refusing to uh, to do the right thing to Tamar. He's refusing to to uphold her and to give her justice, playing favorites again. I want to protect my third son. I don't want her to be the problem again. And so he's he's very much repeating the problems um, in his father's household in his own household. His father played favorites and did some things and didn't give um, act righteously and didn't evenly distribute justice among his sons. Judas repeating that in his own way. Now, I don't know why his sons were so despicable, but not despicable children usually come, often come. There's a connection to a bad household. I mean, that, yeah. and that's what we're seeing in these stories. I can't say they sinned because of dad, because that's not the way reality is. But we sure understand we have the phrases, you know, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. So there is rottenness going on. There is an unrighteous household because these we are going to see we are going to see Judah uh, and his uh, his passions, uh, the way he uh, thinks toward women mm -hmm. uh, in this section. So uh, you can't blame Judah for what his sons do, but like like you said, that there's an influence here that may be occurring in the home that leads the sons to think similarly toward women, and maybe this is. Uh, a point where we can pause and uh, encourage dads out here uh, to to model an honorable treatment of of women 
uh, to their sons. That they're not objects of desire or for own selfish pleasure. They are made in the image of God, and they deserve respect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right in vain with that about whether or not a woman is just simply an object to take and grab, which is the way it seems that he got married to begin with at the beginning of the chapter. His wife passes away in verse 12. And so after he got done being sad about that, he goes off to a certain town. And um, could someone read um, verses 13 through uh, 15? And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she'd covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and he went into her and she conceived by him. Then he arose and went away and took off her veil and she put on the garments of her widowhood. Okay. All right. So his, his wife passes away. And based on the, the track record in these past few chapters, you wonder if there was something, you know, did she, why'd she die so young? I mean, there's just awfulness going on, right? I mean, you don't want to think that way, but that's what these chapters look like. And so he's heading to a certain town. And when his daughter-in-law Tamar hears it, she realizes, oh, he's going to such and such town. I ought to dress like a prostitute because that's what he's looking for. That's the way the story is laid out. She dresses like a prostitute so that she can catch her father-in-law going to this town. And I don't think she was just so particularly good at dressing up that all of a sudden uh, Judah was dis- deciding, I want to have a prostitute. There's a backstory to this that isn't literally written into these verses, but you can tell he must have done this before. How did she know to do this? Why was he so ready to go to her? Why was it just looking at a lady with her face covered that he's going to go in to sleep with a prostitute? So we're realizing there's a lot more evil going on in this family than was described earlier in these verses. And so Judas gets- She knows knows her father-in-law. Yeah, she knows. She knows. She knows I'm not getting that third son, like the, uh, as is my right and what is just and righteous. And, and so, say so what? What had been promised. Yeah, and what had been promised. And so in order to protect herself, she reasons I ought to dress like a prostitute so that I can have a son in that way. And so she sleeps with her father-in-law. Uh, what a terrible way to protect yourself and to fight for your own rights. But that's what we do when we feel when we're, we've been backed into a corner. I need to get what is mine, and we behave in an evil and sinful way, and we reach out and we take uh, through sin. And she's in this environment of other people who are really acting the same way. They're fighting to get what they want. They're reaching. They're grabbing. They're taking. And see, she's just behaving in kind. 
And so she's doing it incognito and essentially says, give me your signature. And uh, he gives her his signature with his signet ring and his staff. And she runs off after they um, sleep together. When he tries to pay pay her the goat, she's run off with the signet ring. And he just says, well, let's just make sure no one laughs at us. We'll keep this quiet. Because he's willing to live without his signet ring in order to not have anyone laugh at him. The last part of the story isn't the worst sin. It's just another sin that is that seems to scream out loud. Uh, could somebody read 24 through 26? And about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she, uh, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. All right. Hypocrisy is not necessarily worse than murder, selling your brother's brother into slavery, um, prostitution, sleeping in immorality and adultery. But the hypocrisy screams out loud. When he finds out that she was immoral, he wants her burned. And that is the way often the world works. Boys will be boys. It doesn't matter if guys do sins, but if a lady sins, we, we want to hold her to the fire and punish her. And that's his reaction. It's an it's an unrighteous reaction, but that is his reaction. A huge and a very common double standard that persists today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the Bible shows that it happens. I don't think the Bible defends it by any means. It just shows that this is what's going on. So he shows that he he speaks that way. And she essentially says, well, here's the signature of the guy I slept with. And it's his own signature. It's his own signet ring. And out of nowhere, in verse 26, I say out of nowhere, because nowhere in Judah's life so far have we seen him react with this sort of a way. He says, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son. He recognizes, he recognizes his own sin. He recognizes the condition in another person. He recognizes the injustice that another person has. So far, he's been saying, I want, I want, I don't care about my brother, I don't care about my dad, I don't care about any of these things I'm going to take. I'm going to take this lady, I'm going to get rid of this kid, I'm going to get money. And finally, he sees someone else who, uh, who he hurt, someone else who is suffering, and he reacts to that. And for the rest of the story, we don't have a lot of time to look at it, but in 42 through 46, when he's trying to get food for his family during a famine, he is considering how others feel. He is considering what others need. And I want to look at, let's look at chapter 44 to close out. Long story short, Joseph has been testing his brothers. Joseph has not revealed himself to his brothers, and he's trying to see what his brothers are like. And Judah here really steps up to the plate and does a really good job. In chapter 44, verse 14, it even says, 
when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. So in some way, Judah seems to be leading, or in some way, the storytelling is saying it's Judah and company. It's not all of the brothers, it's Judah and the brothers. And so he is there somehow stepping up and, and speaking out. He says in verse 16, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. He is admitting, he's opening up, he's being vulnerable, he is letting his own sin be exposed. He's not ask, acting brusquely, he's not dismissing, he's not pretending. He, he's honest with this situation. And he's admitting this sin. It's, it's a big change to what he had been doing in the past. And when Joseph charges them, Judah reaches out again. And he has a long speech starting in verse 18 through the rest of the chapter in Genesis 44. We don't have the time to, do, to, to read through that. But one, one thing I will read, um, Read verses 30 through 34 just to close this out. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, the boy and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he'll die. And your servant will bring down his, the gray hairs of your servant, our father, in sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. He is willing and sacrificing himself. He is willing to, to, to go into the whatever sort of servant slavery. He's willing to suffer that himself so that this younger brother won't have to suffer. Um, I don't think that Jacob, the dad, is being very good still. I think he's whining and too much about this lost son, but he's willing to suffer to try to help out his dad, who is possibly still overreacting. He's thinking about how to take care of all these other people and take blame and troubles on himself. Judah still has his own family at home. He has at least one son, right? Judah still has a family, but he is willing to take this on himself so that others won't be hurt as much, which is a complete turnaround um, in the story of Judah himself. And, and Judah ends up receiving blessings and doing very well, I think, in response to his change of heart. Yeah, Justin? It's interesting. Um, many of us have probably noticed before the uh, incredible similarities between Joseph and Jesus, he, Joseph is very much uh, a, a type of Christ throughout Genesis 37 through the end of, of the book. Um, until you get to the end, and there's this one little flip here, uh, and that's actually fairly common, I think, with a lot of types of Christ in the Old Testament, is they'll track with Jesus, track with Jesus' story, and then there's, there's a switch, kind of like Isaac. He's going to be offered as a sacrifice, and then there's that flip where he's not actually, you know, killed the, the ram is taken instead and here the flip is oh joseph 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 but jew is going to be the one who's sort of a propitiation who's going to take the wrath of the the king so that his brother doesn't die 
uh, doesn't go into servitude. Uh, so Judah goes from selling his brother into slavery to trying to save the life of a brother uh, who, I mean, they're trying to get rid of Joseph. Uh, he's a favorite. The new favorite's Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, and he's trying to save the life of Benjamin. And yeah. it looks like Benjamin's guilty. You know, Joseph wasn't guilty before. Maybe he was a snot. I don't know. I'm like you where I'm thinking maybe, maybe probably not. Uh, but Benjamin took something, supposedly, that none of the rest of them did. And so Judah's standing, for all we know, uh, for all he knows, uh, in the place of the guilty favorite brother. Now's his chance uh, to be rid of him, but he takes his place. It's an, yeah. it's an incredible transformation. And I, I, I want that kind of transformation in my own life, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And when, there's a couple of significances to, to, to this story and, and, and what you're saying makes me think of it, is that Judah goes through this transformation and his, his change of heart, uh, repentance, whatever word you want to throw in there, uh, not when he's a young guy. He is an older guy. I don't know how old, um, but he's, it's not like he's in his 20s or something. He has lived through a lot of things, and he is an old dog trying to learn new tricks. He is doing what he can to be a different man after he had lived a rotten life in a rotten environment and he can't change his environment his dad's still going to be his dad his brothers who hated joseph might still hate joseph but he is going to be different no matter what his environment is going to do or say and that's a big deal because some of us if we're realizing our changes and it's later in life it's going to be it's going to feel hard and it must have felt hard for judah to change but he was willing to do it now another thing you mentioned about how this willingness to sacrifice himself and take the the anger of the king and how how connected that is with Jesus. Well, the Old Testament name Judah in Greek is Judas. And so Judah, who sold his brother for money, is a type of the Judas who sold out Jesus for money. And that's such a powerful image. And it's, it's really telling about how Judah and Judas do the most despicable things Judah chooses to make the change, and Judas, he chooses nothing. Right. He, he just chooses to stay in his despair, and that's so tragic. It's absolutely tragic, but Judah is willing to face it when he, in the story of Tamar is where he seems to first face it. I'm yeah. willing to face what I've done, and it, I mean, he's got a huge mountain to climb to get out of the hole he's dug. But it looks like he's willing to try. And with Jesus, we can make it out. Somebody said that the first thing to do when you find yourself at the bottom of a hole is quit digging. And earlier, he's kind of digging. And then that point, I mean, it's not the epitome of behavior. You know, it's like, well, she's better than me. <laughs> and it, and I'll, he, quits, he quits sleeping with her. Okay, good, <laughs> but we don't, but then, but that's where he seems to, uh, I think you brought out really well, that's where we start to see something, some accountability and some good perception. And then we actually see real sacrificial behavior and, and, and love for others yeah. and willingness to suffer himself uh, because he's not putting himself first at the end. And that's, that's a beautiful transformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
just, I don't want to make this too big of a point. A lot of people talk about um, maybe there's no real evil in the world. People are just what they are because of their environment. This is a story that shows that we will be rotten if we live in a rotten environment. But my environment is not the culprit. I am rotten and I have to stop. And, and I like this story because it admits, I mean, it's true. If, if I grow up in a good household, chances are I'm going to be pretty decent, but I'm not perfect. And if I grow up in a rotten household, chances are I'm going to be rotten myself. But, and th that's just a, a truth. That's the way the world works. We shouldn't ignore that. But I, I need to change. I need to change me. And I, how much can I change my environment? How much can I change my dad? How much can I change my sons if, if they're off on their own and they're living a certain way? I can't change them, but I can, through the help of God, change me. And so I need to stop whining and complaining about the things that I can't change. Admit that it's hard, but I can't, but work on myself. And, and if I work on myself, maybe I can really bring out a lot of fruit in others around me. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Dan, for uh, for talking to us about Judah and his life. And we didn't even cover everything. Uh, I had to skip through some of it. So go back through, uh, read read about Judah. Uh, and the story doesn't stop in chapter 44. It continues on later on in Genesis with some of the blessings and things, but a lot of really good lessons to see uh, and learn from, from looking at Judah's transformation. Um, so thank you guys for uh, your discussion today. Thank you to our, our audience for tuning in. If you have any other questions or thoughts about Judah or anything else you'd like us to discuss on our program, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv and submit your comments and questions there. And uh, we'll look forward to doing those in our future programs. But that's all we have for this week. So we'll see everyone next week. Lord willing.